Spirit of Almighty God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. My God, I tremble in fear tonight in the presence of Almighty God. I'm telling you, we better start loving one another and praying for one another. Praise God. We better be doing everything that we can do to see people get saved and walking with Jesus Christ. And I'm about done because I feel the Spirit lifting off from me. But I'm telling you, God's doing a work here tonight. Praise God. Praise God. There's something about the Holy Ghost. There's tremendous boldness in the Holy Ghost. And we need to listen to what the Spirit of Almighty God is saying to us tonight. How many want Brother Grant to come preach to us? One to come preach to us, please stand. It's early. Praise God. And I feel like there's a continuation that's going to be coming from the Word of the Lord. Don't question God. Don't question God. Just believe God. Don't question personalities and that sort of thing. Just believe God has moved with a tremendous move. Don't even try to figure it out. Just respond to what the Lord's trying to do. Let's lift our hands one more time and let's pray for the preacher to come. Brother Grant, God bless you. What a tremendous blessing to have this great man of God and his wife with us. I highly respect him. I have tremendous respect for his ministry. He's a great man of God. And because God has made him great, he has a tremendous message. And I believe tonight that God has laid something on his heart that we need to hear. Brother John Grant, I love you. Let me say it to you in the presence of all this congregation. I have great respect for you. Your great contribution that you have not only made to this, this prayer Bible conference, but to the United Pentecostal Church and the way God has used you. God bless you. And I love Brother Legal. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. And I love all of you. Praise God. It's so good to be here. It really is. I, I just tell you the truth, I don't know what to do. I came fully prepared to preach, but uh, I just felt such a, a move of the Lord and such great liberty in what God was doing. God has just moved here in a marvelous way. You know what came to my mind as I was praying? It was said of uh, David that uh, God said this, that David was a man after his own heart. Now, I've got the Holy Ghost in my heart, but I want to get in the heart of God. And I believe that there are, there are people down that were worshiping down front tonight that you're getting into God's heart. We all have the Holy Ghost. But uh, I want to get into the heart of God. 
Praise God. Was that type of friendship and relationship that Abraham had with God that caused God to go down and first deal with Abraham before he seriously considered what should be done with Sodom and Gomorrah? I want to be in the heart of God. Praise God. I do have a message that I've felt in my heart for some time for this prayer and Bible conference. I mentioned it this morning. It's about forgiveness. I titled it, The Cross Removed. And I, I do not plan on teaching or preaching this whole message, but there were just several things that Brother Legal brought to to our attention. And I just feel in the spirit that uh, I'd, I'd like to minister some of these thoughts to you. Praise God. Thank you so much for inviting us, the district board, Brother Agal, Brother Tharp, and all of you ministering brethren. You've been just so kind. And I'll tell you, we, my wife and I will go away from here just renewed in the Spirit. You've been such a blessing. I felt the Holy Ghost in all of these, these uh, meetings. All the singing. There's a, there's a great spirit in Iowa. There's an explosive spirit in Iowa. Seriously. I'm not saying that just to make you feel good. I'm saying that because that is the way it is. And God's going to do something in this district that He's never done before. I believe that. I believe that. Oh, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, praise the name of the Lord. 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 Thank you, God. Oh, glory to God. Did you know that God can accomplish in just a few moments more than I can accomplish all night long? And for some reason, I, I believe that He has already started a work in many lives. I see tears that are flowing. People are reaching out to God. Now the reason why I have a tremendous burden to discuss this with you is because I am a firm believer that Satan does his greatest work on the planet earth among the children of disobedience. Now, I'm not in any way wanting this message to be a message of condemnation. That's not it at all. I want it to be a message of hope for you. I believe that in the church of the living God that more people will miss the mark because they do not know how to settle differences with each other than any other reason. 
human problems, personal relationship problems. For that reason, I want to read 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, verse 17 and 18. The Bible says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Everybody say gospel. Gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. You notice the phrase that he makes, the statement he makes. He says, the Christ, or the, the cross of Christ, should be made of none effect. In other words, as if it did not even exist. And while I know that he's talking about something a little bit different, from what I plan on talking about, he does mention the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul explains the gospel as the death, the burial, and the resurrection. He talks about Jesus Christ died, he was buried, and he arose. He talks about his death, he talks about his burial, he talks about his resurrection. And then he says, now if Christ be not raised from the dead, then we're all in our sins. In other words, if there had not have been a cross... There would be no hope for anybody. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, I just want to take a look, look at a few things in the Scripture in your presence. Because there is nothing in the world that'll bother you more than a problem that exists between you and somebody else in the church. Nothing. Nothing will disturb you more than a bad relationship with somebody. When you see these young people hugging each other and pastors' wives hugging each other, Pastors hugging each other. It is indeed a glorious thing. The Bible places such a great price on unity. Now I feel unity here in this district. So nothing that I am about to say is reflective of anything that I feel. I believe that These ministers are men of God that love God. But sometimes someone will do you wrong and you will develop a feeling and that feeling that you develop, while you're innocent from the standpoint of any wrongdoing, that feeling can cause you heartache and trouble for years tough thing to get over, especially when you know in your heart that you're innocent. So I just want to read the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, verse 8, or verse 9. 
After this manner, therefore, pray ye our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now I want you to notice what Jesus did. He said, Amen. And it was just like he didn't even hardly pause. And he went back and he picked up on a statement that he made in teaching them to pray. This is what he said. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now you will notice in the scripture when God keeps bringing something up over and over and over, something that he can't get off of his mind, when you read it, you better pay attention. Like in the book of Revelation, Mystery Babylon, and Jezebel is mentioned. When you consider this wicked woman, you, you better not forget her. The problem with Jezebel is very, very simple. She was a married woman with an unmarried spirit. See, that was her problem. She was a married woman with an independent spirit. See, that's, that's the problem. And Jesus not only talks about this very thing here, but several times in his ministry he talks about it. Matthew 18. He gives a parable. And he talks about the man that was forgiven, his debt was forgiven, but he goes out and finds somebody that owed him some money, and he wouldn't forgive. Therefore, the judge that had forgiven the debt brought him back in and refused to forgive him then. And Jesus mentions this very same thing again. Now, when Paul talks about the cross in 1 Corinthians 15, Basically what he's saying is this. What if Jesus Christ had not have come into the world? What hope would we have? What if he had not have died for our sins? What hope would we have? You see, Paul says this in the book of Galatians. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son. The fullness of time is not making reference only to a particular day and hour on the clock. But the fullness of time is making reference to the ripeness of conditions. When the world, the planet earth, could no longer survive without a redeemer, Jesus came. But just for a moment, I want you to use your imagination. 2,000 years after Calvary, let's just use our imagination and let's put ourselves in a position 
as if Jesus Christ had never have, have come. Where would we be? What would we be doing? If there had not have been a Calvary, if there had not have been a cross, if there had not have been a death, if no blood had have been shed, what would your condition be? Think about it for a moment. In other words, if the world was ripe and could no longer exist without a Redeemer, and somehow the Redeemer refused to come or did not come, what kind of a condition would we be in today? Well, basically, Paul says that there are ways in which you can actually remove the cross as if he had never have come. Jesus speaks of one of those. And he says in your personal relationships with people, the easiest way to remove the cross as if he had never come is to practice feelings of unforgiveness as if you had no way to receive forgiveness yourself. Now, true repentance is something that's necessary to be saved. I talked this morning about the fruit of repentance. We know that in order to be saved that you have to repent. And we're not redeemed with corruptible things as gold and silver, but by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you will notice in Acts 2.38, when they asked Peter and the rest of the apostles, what must, be, what must we do to be saved? The Bible says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. The scripture does not say for the remission of your sins. But it says sins. Sins. Why sins instead of your sins? The reason why is because that repentance is the fruit of forgiveness not forgiveness, the fruit of repentance. I received in the mail some time ago a pretty long letter, and I think Brother Legal received this also. Some of our brethren have been in the habit of writing letters to us. And uh, <clears throat> the author of the letter stated that forgiveness is the fruit of repentance. I don't think you can prove that in the Scripture. I think it's just the other way around. I believe with all my heart that repentance is the fruit of forgiveness. Because nobody can go down in Jesus' name fully repented until he has also practiced forgiveness. 
And when you go down in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, not only are your sins remitted, but all of those sins that have been posted against you have been wiped clean because you say, as he said, I forgive you. Now let me, let me show you a point in case. And I, I said this morning, I'd look in the scripture. I'm not even going to follow my notes. I'm just going to add, kind of ad-lib all this. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, the Bible says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterwards when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Esau died a bitter old man and took with him to his grave a grudge that he had against his brother, Jacob. And even though he fell upon his neck and kissed him and reconciled himself to his brother from the standpoint of personal fellowship, he could never get out of his heart, Brother Thorpe, what he saw or what Jacob had done. Never. He never got it out of his heart. Consequently, when he went to God, even though he carefully sought repentance with tears, repentance being the fruit of a forgiving spirit, he could not repent because he could not forgive. Think about that for a moment. And I know that he lived on the other side of Calvary. But those people look forward to the cross. We look back to the cross. And it was just like that every time that Esau pointed his face toward Golgotha's brow, the cross of Christ vanished. It wasn't even there. Oh, you know, Jesus taught us some things to, to really make us happy and keep us clear. You know what Jesus taught us in Matthew 5, verse 21 through verse 25. He says, when you take your gift to the altar and you feel that your brother has ought against you, he said, just leave your gift there and you go to your brother and you make peace with him. Be reconciled to him. Now in this situation, you will notice, he says, if your brother has ought against you, in other words, it's not your problem, it's your brother's problem. But Jesus places the responsibility solely upon the individual with the knowledge 
of what's going on. So when my brother has ought against me, whose responsibility is it to clear up the matter? It's my responsibility. Mine. Then he comes along in Matthew 18, he says, If your brother trespasses against you, obviously in the first case, you have done something. You don't really know what it is. In this case, though, you haven't done anything. He has done something. But Jesus said, if your brother trespasses against you, you go to him. So, irregardless of who has the problem, or who committed the wrongdoing, it's your responsibility to clear it up. I've heard too much of this business. They owe me an apology. I just want to challenge you to find that in the Bible. I mean, theoretically, they may owe you an apology. But irregardless, it's still your responsibility to try to reconcile and to make peace. Always yours. Always. There are very few places in the Scripture that you can point your finger at anybody and say, they should turn a good deed to me. Very few places in the Scripture. Now I want to just talk just a minute about this repentance is the fruit of forgiveness. Not forgiveness, the fruit of repentance. You see, to get someone to repent, you should first be willing to make the move by forgiving. Now, I drive up in the parking lot on Monday afternoon, been gone for the weekend. Sister Grant and I had been preaching someplace out of town. The school principal meets me at my car and says, Brother Grant, we got a situation we got to take care of. I said, uh, what's, what's the problem? He said, you know, we caught the boy that's been stealing gasoline from the church bus. Now, we have a church bus, and we lost gasoline every week for weeks. In fact, we even had some men to sit up in the back of the church Looking out the back door, we had a little peephole in the back door. We were going to catch him. We told the police, and the police had come in periodically, and we just didn't know why they were getting the gasoline or when. In fact, they even came to me and said, we're going to, we're going to forget about this because we can't catch the individual. I hate to tell you, but I stayed up one night with my son over there. We were looking out the back door. I don't know what we would have done if we did Call the police, I suppose. At any rate, the school principal comes out and tells me. He said, would you believe, Brother Grant, I walked out of the school 9 o'clock this morning and in broad open daylight, there's a boy with his car parked against the bus and he's siphoning gasoline straight out of the bus into his car. I said, what'd you do? He said, well, I grabbed him 
and twisted his arm and pulled the hose out and took him inside, and a sister called the police. The police came by, and they said, well, what you need to do is need to press charges against the boy. And uh, he said, well, I'm not the pastor. Pastor's out of town. But I know he'd be glad to do this simply because we've been trying to catch this boy for a long time. So Brother Seidel rushes out and tells me all about it. He said, you need to go down to the police station. Well, <clears throat> I went inside the church, and I was kind of hot about the situation. You know, I was angry. I was upset. I said, I can't believe he's been doing this in the middle of the day. I go in, and I begin to pray. Our auditorium has no windows, and uh, you can... You can pretty much fix the atmosphere the way you want it. So I turn all the lights off and just a few little shadow lights. And I kneel down to pray. And would you believe when I'm praying, the Lord just quickens my heart and says, uh, you need to take another look at what's happened here. And, uh, yeah. and I knew then that God had my attention. So I said to uh, I'm going to act upon what I feel that God wants me to act upon. Would you believe now I called, I had the, the, the name of the boy, I had his home number. I called over there and talked with his mom and she just, I mean, she is really rude to me. And I said, I need to see your son, Jeremy O'Neill. And she said, what do you want? I said, I just want to talk with him. And I said, I said, now, don't be upset at me. I just want to come over and meet him. And she said, well, okay. Now, she knew I had the authority or the power to go press charges, and he'd be picked up. And in fact, they said, we'll pick, pick him up and lock him up in jail until he posts bail. So I went over. Knock on the door and go inside, and Mrs. O'Neill just mumbled a little bit, didn't say anything. So she said, you can be seated. I said, where's Jeremy? She said, he's in the back taking a shower. Well, he stayed, and 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 he stayed. I thought, no, he's not going to come out. Finally, she said, Jeremy, get out here. Well, he stayed, and he stayed, and he stayed. Finally, he came out, hair all wet, you know, and slicked down, goes over and flops down on the sofa. And I get up and go over to meet him. He said, what do you want? I said, well, I wanted to talk with you. I said, I just wanted to ask you a few questions. I said, have you, have you been stealing the the gasoline from our church bus. He said, you know I have. That school principal twisted my arm off. I said, well. I said, uh, <clears throat> I uh, don't approve of your stealing. I said, people work hard and contribute to the cause of the Lord. I, I don't approve of your stealing. But Jeremy, 
I said, did you really need that gasoline? He said, yes, I, I really did. He said, you know, I have people come by my office real often asking for money. Now, I'm going to say something here, and some of you people may disagree, and maybe even some of the pastors would feel not to practice this. It's not anything I push on people. But I just, I just help everybody that comes by. You know, I, I, I'm told all the time, I said, uh, people say, Brother Grant, you, you, got, you got ripped off today. Well, I just feel my, for myself that I'm following the Scripture. Somebody said, oh, they go out and get drunk with it. Well, I used to do a lot of things with my money, too, that wasn't righteous. You follow what I'm saying? And concerning getting ripped off, I tell people that's between the ripper and the rippee. The truth of the matter is, you see, it's not my money. I'm just trying my dead level best to follow Scripture. So I told Jeremy, I said, we have people come by every day and I help them. Now, Jeremy, why didn't you come by and why didn't you ask me for money? He said, well, I guess maybe I was a little bit too proud I said, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to, how much does it take to fill up your car with gasoline? Well, it held about 24 gallons. And uh, I pulled out, I think it was $30 and gave to him. I said, we'll give you this $30 to fill up your car. I'm not going to press charges against you. And I want you to know, I forgive you. Now, any time from now on that you need gasoline, would you stop by my office and let me purchase it for you? He, uh, he just turned as white as a ghost. His mother got up and came over and said, you, you say you're Pastor Grant? Yeah. She started just weeping. In fact, she reached out and got me around the neck and started hugging and crying on me. And Jeremy dropped down on his knees and put his arms around my legs. And he says, Pastor, as long as I live, I will not only... Refrain from stealing gasoline from you, but I will never steal gasoline from anybody else again. Would you please forgive me? And Mom, old Neil, says, How can we pay you back? I feel so terrible about all this. What can we do? When are your services anyway? What kind of a church is this? We love him because he first loved us and gave his life a ransom for us upon Calvary's tree. Repentance is not possible had not he had said upon the cross, forgive them for they know.
and worship the Lord. <laughs> oh God, oh God, God, God. Alamo Shandaraboti Hikama Sandare. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh God, blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh God. You know, there have been some things that have happened to me since I've been preaching that I suppose that from a logical standpoint, I could uh, could hold feelings. But you know what happens is you're the one that suffers. A lot of times the people that you hold feelings against, they don't even, they could care less. They don't even sometimes know you hold those feelings. Paul talks about the Lord's Supper. And this is what he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. He says, you know, every now and then we need to take communion. He doesn't say how often, but as often as you do it. And the reason why is because so that you are always showing the Lord's death in your life. He, he's not saying now that this is the only time you show it. Basically what he's saying is that you need to do it often enough so that you are continually showing the Lord's death. Now, he said the problem is that some people, however, not discerning the Lord's body, not looking at the purity of God himself, they bring damnation to themselves. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you. Many sleep, of course, some, uh, I, I suppose what he's talking about when he says sleep, uh, this is a spiritual situation, but it could also lead to, to a physical death. You know, I found this out, <clears throat> that when I get sick, I can pretty well determine the sickness if it's something I've had before or something that I know that others have had, and I, I'm acquainted with it. For an example, you know, you go to the doctor and you say, oh, I'm so sick. And the doctor says, what's wrong with you? Basically, what the doctor is saying is, tell me the symptoms so I can evaluate the situation. Well, i got a headache, fever, sore throat, neck, uh, chills occasionally. The doctor says, well, you sound like you had the flu. Because you have all the symptoms. And there are certain spiritual sicknesses that you have. And you can determine what the problem is by looking at the symptoms. Now let me tell you, if you have an unforgiving spirit. Let me tell you if you have. Now I'm not going to go into all the scriptures 
because time would not allow me to. One of the first things that happen to you if you have an unforgiving spirit is that you practice presumptuous sins. That is, you presume that the motive of individuals is this, that, or the other. You try to figure out people. Now, you will notice that all these symptoms relate to somebody else. wonder why he did that. You notice how he looked when he, you know, I wonder what they were talking about. One sister even went so far as to come up to me and say, two sisters in the church were talking about me all through the service. Well, I noticed they were talking. But I asked her, I said, and this was the thing that was so crazy about it, I said, how do you know they were talking about you? She said, who else could they be talking about? After church then, I caught them on the way outside and I said, I want to talk with you. I said, I know both of you are talking all during service. Do you mind sharing with me what you were talking about? They both began to cry. You see, their sons were about the same age. They were drafted into the army. That's back during the Vietnam War. And they both received their orders. One of them went to Vietnam. The other went to Hawaii. And one sister was crying over the fact that the other sister's son had to go to Vietnam. And they were both rejoicing over the fact that one son went to Hawaii. That's a far cry from what that little old lady thought. And you know, in Second Peter, Peter talks about this situation. And I'm assuming that, that this is basically talking about an unforgiving spirit for this reason. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous they are, self-will. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. And that's another sign of an unforgiving spirit. And that is that you constantly are involved in discussion about the character and the reputation of someone to defame them. Basically, it's gossip. Gossip, for the most part, is sharing detrimental information about somebody with somebody else who is neither a part of the problem nor the solution. In other words, you just got to talk about it. Do you have problems controlling your tongue? If you have, most likely you are removing the cross of Calvary from your life every day. And what kind of a condition will you be in in just a little while If you have no way in the plan of God to receive remission of your sins.
Think about that for a moment. But look out, even preachers get involved in talking about each other. You know, if anybody should have a strict code of ethics and love each other, it ought to be preachers. I will assure you of this one thing, that there is not one preacher from this brother to that brother down there that I couldn't find something to disagree about if I probed long enough and hard enough and deep enough. And you'll always find reason to disagree with somebody. But there is never a reason in the Scripture for you to be nasty and run to somebody else and speak evil of them. Never. See, the, the cross, the whole story is a, is, is a story of self-denial. From the Garden of Gethsemane till Jesus said, forgive them. Well, Peter took out the sword, and listen, he was trying to cut the man's head off. But he cut his ear off. And while Peter was struggling there, and they were all holding him to keep him from killing the man, do you know what Jesus was doing? He was kneeling in the grass, parting the grass, looking for the fellow's ear. And when he found it, he went over and stuck it back on. Now Peter goes on to say, They're not afraid to speak evil and dignities, whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. Some sister today said that, and she was so complimentary. I look out across here, I saw her just a few minutes ago. We were talking. She said, you know, I just appreciate your ministry. And she went on, she said, and concerning angels, I believe that God has an angel watching over me. The sister right back here in white with these black dots. <clears throat> now, and I've mentioned bitterness. Paul talks about the other things like sickness. Why sickness? Well, you know, some sicknesses are caused by sin in your life. Did you know that? It's an amazing thing to me, and I'm going to throw out something here, and I just want you to chew on it. It's an amazing thing to me. The Testament, are we commanded to lay hands on people and anoint them with oil, is in James 5.14. Now, Mark 16, they shall lay hands upon the sick and they shall recover. It doesn't say anything about anointing with oil. It doesn't say anything about calling for the elders of the church. But in James 5.14, it says, call for the elders of the church. The reason why you want to get the elders of the church involved is because, I think the context bears witness of this. The Bible says, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and God shall raise them up. And if, not necessarily they did, but if they have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Example. Sister in our church came up and said, Brother Grant, I've been sick with the flu for two weeks and I can't be healed. I don't know what's wrong with me. And so as a result, I took the oil, the elders gathered around, and I, I, I listened very quietly uh, for an opportunity because I heard her praying. I just simply went down close to her ear and I said, I need to talk to you about something. She says, oh my God, Brother Grant. She said, you know all about this, don't you? 
And I said, isn't it true that you didn't think anybody would know, but you cut your hair? And she began to weep and tremble. She said, you're right. I didn't think anybody would know. But she said, the very moment that you said, I need to talk to you, I knew that God had laid it on your heart. And the purpose of the elders is to discern the reason why you have not been healed just through regular prayer of the saints. So some sicknesses are caused by sin. What's this got to do with forgiveness? Well, if you have an unforgiving spirit and the cross is removed, what's going to happen when you do something wrong? And you go and say, God, forgive me, Lord. I have transgressed. I've done wrong. And the Lord says, take a look at Golgotha. Do you see a cross up there? And you say, there's no cross up there for me. No cross at all. Now, we're talking about something that's sober. Then, of course, hatred could lead to spiritual death and such. It could. I told you that Jesus is our example. There's no doubt about it. Another one is Stephen. What about Stephen? Stephen forgave those people who were killing him. And it was the attitude of this man that caused a man by the, by the name of Paul to listen carefully to the voice of God. Evidently, Paul had already been convicted because the angel of the Lord, or the voice of God, said, Paul, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. God had already started dealing with him, and he was just like the old oxen that was all yoked up. He was just kicking back at the traces every time God poked him with conviction. You know, I've heard some stories and situations that are so heartbreaking. I'm just going to relate two of them before I close. Um, I was preaching in the state of New York, in fact, the metropolitan New York, preaching their conference. And I preached on forgiveness. There was a young man that came up to me, and he was weeping and sobbing. He said, Brother Grant, I'm out of tune with God. Totally out of tune with God. He said, I want to talk with you if you just listen to me. He said, I've got bitterness in my heart. I said, well, what's the problem? He said, well, my pastor, who was also my presbyter, ran away with my wife. And my wife is living with him, and she will bear his child in six months. He said, this has eaten me alive. I've been living in hell for six months. He said, but I think tonight God has given me the answer to have peace over this. He said, I'm leaving bright and early in the morning and I'm going to this man that I've hated 
and this woman that I have loved. And somehow he said that I've always wanted to get even with since. And I'm going to their house and knock on their door and I'm going to forgive them. He said, because since this has happened, my relationship with God has taken a nosedive. I'm not even for sure before tonight when you preach this that I could even feel God anymore. I wanted to strangle and kill that man. He did just that. And God has restored. Now that's a tough one. I mean, that is a tough one. Brother and Sister Yance, of course you know the Yance family. Brother Yance is our home missions director. He came to our city to bury his daughter. His daughter was killed in an automobile accident. There was a young man that got drunk, and I meant really drunk, and she got in the car with him, and they were going down a slippery ice street, and they slid sideways into a tree and killed Linda outright. So they go into Gunderson Funeral Home. These people were shocked. We were all shocked. There's Linda's body. She's dead. She's gone. Forever. Stately man stepped up, introduced himself. He said, I suppose whatever I say will not help. There's a young man in the university hospital that is begging you to come to see him tonight. He said, I'm an attorney. He's my son. He killed your daughter. Would you go see him? Brother and Sister Young said, it's the hardest thing we've ever done in our life. Because we know that no amount of apologies will bring Linda back. She's gone forever. Brother Jan said, I came within a half of a gnat's breath of telling this man what I thought and, and not going to university hospital. He said, Joanne, let's go in the other room and pray. And we went in the other room to pray. It was like the Lord told us, if you cannot forgive, if you don't put your cross up so this man can see it, when you look back over your shoulder toward Golgotha, then you're going to need it because you haven't gone on to your reward yet. If you put your cross down, I'm going to lay my cross down.
And we went to the hospital. And there was a trembling young man in the bed. He was all bandaged up in tubes, very serious, severe condition. And uh, he called him to the bedside. He said, would you forgive me? Brother Jan said, that sounded so cheap compared to Linda. It sounded so cheap and easy that I just wanted to say no. But I was reminded of what I saw in that little prayer room at the funeral home. It was like my cross was standing out in front of this boy. And if I took it down so he did not see the Lord's death and forgiveness in me, then when I looked over my shoulder at Calvary, I saw quickly the cross of Christ dissipate, disappear into the gloomy night. He said, the healthiest thing in my whole life ever was when I stood there and got that young man by the hand and Joanne and I looked at him and said, son, we forgive you. He said, I believe as long as I live, if that is the prevailing attitude of my life, there will always be a cross on Calvary's brow for me. Oh, hallelujah. God, let's lift our hands and worship the Lord. Oh, God. Mm, Blend us together, Lord, with your love and with your blood. Help us all, Lord Jesus, to have forgiving spirits, to love one another. To unify ourselves with our brothers and sisters of like precious faith in Jesus Christ. Forgiving one another. Oh, God. Oh, God. Let's let the Holy Spirit move across this place once again. God has ministered so deeply already to us. Mm. Oh, God. Oh, God. Yes, 
Yea, my child, my voice does not always speak to you in the fashion in which you desire. But quite often I come in the very stillness of the night with soft impressions. Other times I do rumble like thunder from the voice of a man. I also speak through my word. And yea, I have spoken to you this very night through so many various ways. This should be evidence to you that I love you and I'm concerned about you. Therefore, I give you this plea and this cry. Give your heart to me all the way. Let me cleanse you and purify you as you forgive those that you have held feelings against. Yea, I, the Lord your God, will deliver you and set you free. There will be freedom in your spirit that you have not known for a long time, saith the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> God wants to set somebody free here tonight. He set the stage from the very first song that was sung. And He's still moving. Would you let Him do it right now? I say, would you let Him do it right now? You may be totally innocent. You may say, Brother Girl, I haven't done anything. That's beside the point. Do you have the symptoms? Are they there? Does it bother you? Does it rob you of your victory? Let Him set you free tonight. Hallelujah. You're on your own. If you want to find a place to pray, fine. If you want to find somebody to talk with, fine. If you feel like just going to loving somebody's neck, somebody you care for and love, do that. Express yourself the way you feel that the Holy Ghost would want you to express yourself. Say, Yes, God. Oh, 